Hey, listeners, just a quick reminder. We're here to entertain and educate. You know, we discuss medical topics, and yes, we have a licensed doctor. But it's not a substitute for personalized medical advice. So for any health care concerns, consult your primary care physician or a local health care provider. Now, let's dive in and enjoy the show. Hormones, 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 Robert. I, they're... Your hormones? <laughs> We're going to start off this early with your hormones? My hormones. How <laughs> dare you, sir? <laughs> no, I just, this story keeps coming up in my circle. And I want to, I want you to help clarify. But can women take Viagra? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, it's funny that you bring that up. Recently, okay, we'll take a step back. We had... Uh, uh, this new patient to me, uh, she's a, a, a patient in our clinic, but she usually sees somebody else. Uh, she is elderly uh, and comes in for uh, a visit complaining about her medication. Um, she had had some problems and she was given this muscle relaxer that she'd been on for quite some time. And she gets her medicines from a mail-in pharmacy. And uh, she's been taking these medicines uh, for maybe a few days or so. And she suddenly started feeling lightheaded and confused uh, and her family sort of looked at the pills and noticed that one of them or a bunch of them about a third of them were different uh, they weren't all the same medication that her pharmacy had sent her and so they sort of googled it and looked up the pill and in fact this 80 something year old woman was popping viagra um, intermittently without knowing about it so yeah you know uh, anyone can take viagra now whether you want to uh, or it's helpful or not, but that's a whole separate story, separate from your hormones. Uh, Viagra may make men hormonal, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but it's not a hormone. Okay, good. Now, thank you. Uh, good story. You know, the hormones coming up uh, for a couple of reasons. One of which is that you know I'm working with some fathers around the world who are trying to you know connect with their children, but their wives seems to be going through some stuff too. And it seems to be hormonal. Happy wife, happy life sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But today we have a special guest, Dr. Susan Baumgartel, who's actually going to help us explore some of these hormones. And the thing that I've been talking about is menopause. And so I want to greet Dr. Susan. Hello. Hey, I've been trying not to laugh here while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get a little out of hand here a little bit. We'll try and rein it in. So you've spent 30 years in internal medicine, and now you've started this new journey as a, a medical advocate. So first, what I'd like you to help us do is define medical advocate and what has inspired this pivot in your career. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's just a great idea to have a woman come to talk to two men about menopause. Like, woohoo, what better way to do it? Um, so yeah, I actually from Seattle and uh, grew up in Ontario, Canada, came back, got my degree in architecture and urban planning at the University of Washington, went right off to med school, residency and beyond, and spent third, uh, 25 years actually doing uh, clinical medicine and then just literally uh, on a dime pivoted out uh, two years ago and started my new venture, which is um, my, MD, my MD advocate. And it's really kind of a way to maintain my clinical presence, my, my physician kind of experience and expertise, but to to give and serve patients in a different way. And it's really through telemedicine. So people come to me and they need help with 
um, navigating the system uh, or consultation for complex medical problems or kind of how to find better balance in their lives. Uh, maybe they're caretaking an older adult or kids. And then this whole concept of advocacy, which is really um, not in the field of medicine necessarily, but certainly dovetails with what I've always done in terms of helping people where they're at and uh, connecting them to make better choices when it comes to medical care, healthcare, and just to be a value for them in their lives. So is there a need for advocacy in the medicine in the sense that they're not quite getting in at the doctor's office and they need this outside help? Yeah. So um, from my perspective, I, I see this blaring neon sign, help me, help me, you know, and I think it was there long before the pandemic, but the pandemic certainly brought that to the forefront of so many people's vision. And I really say that with a straight face, because I know uh, that my colleagues who are still doing clinical practice are working their butts off. They are absolutely um, putting all of their energy and effort to help people, their, help their patients. But um, at the end of the day, it's falling short because systems are strained. Um, staffing is at half mast half the time. I remember starting my day and wondering if I didn't have a medical assistant during the day. Mm. You know, and then the whole kind of cascade of barriers that a lot of patients have. You know, they call and they're on hold for an hour and a half, or their my chart, their portal message goes unanswered for a week. You know, and and so. That is not for lack of caring on the part of the medical practitioners and physicians. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's the systems bursting for many reasons, and that would probably be a whole nother show. But I think that, um, that that's the kind of the background uh, kind of where I stepped out and thought, well, how can I help people in that way? And so for me, navigating is, hey, I, as a patient, I have a great doctor, uh, they're away for six weeks, second seniors practitioner, but I've never met them before. Uh, I have these things are pretty urgent. My appointment's four weeks out. What do I do? And so I can kind of fill that gap and kind of be that handshake. And, you know, I feel my, I feel like I'm in a triangle, not the Bermuda triangle, but the triangle where, you know, the patient's being served, I'm helping them, but I'm also supporting my colleague. And that's really important. I'm not taking their business away. I'm actually helping their patient kind of in their system. And I think that that's, that was my kind of, you know, light bulb moment feeling like, wow, this is really good. I don't want you to think I'm trying to paint you into a corner to say something bad about the system or the man or the woman, but. But the system, the system is horrible. Yeah. Um, I, I hear you exactly, Susan. I've, I've functioned, I'm working full-time now clinically, but my previous uh, hat was as a primary care medical director uh, with Swedish and also right before the uh, pandemic as the medical director for access. And so you, you can imagine the chaos there. I don't know if you've ever seen one of the most hilarious videos I've seen that sort of talked about sort of that advocacy and navigation is if the airlines functioned like healthcare. Have yeah. you seen that? Oh my God, it's, it's older now, but it's so spot on. Well, for us as that far haven't as, seen it, tell us. Well, it's basically, I won't go into the details, but so-called patient essentially calls to buy an airplane ticket and they're given, you know, the runaround and just shows the dysfunction and the disconnectivity, uh, you know, that healthcare has as far as, you know, this person just trying to book a flight from, I think it was like Chicago to LA. Mm -hmm. And eventually they end up getting rerouted through four different cities and their luggage won't go with them. And they have to pay extra for their consultant baggage claim person and all this different kind of stuff. And it was just a complete mess, but 
very tongue in cheek to show really what a disconnected system that patients have to navigate. And I think honestly, you know, you do need a sense of humor to get through any of this, right? This, I guess it's called life. But when you are that patient and you're in the middle of it, it's not funny. I, I mean, it's just not funny. No, you walk into a room with a grumpy patient to begin with. So, and they want, oh, yeah. you know, you have 15, 20 minutes and half of it now has to be listening to them complaining about the system. So. Or apologizing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're offering a timely service. It feels timely and it feels right. And I'm right. so hum- I really am humbled. I guess that's the right word. I'm humbled because people are are seeing the value in what I'm giving them and seeing that it really adds to their it's it's supporting them and it's supporting them in a system that's kind of rocky. Rocky and juggling. And you've got a new book coming out, which we're gonna talk about. But aside from being an advocate, accomplished writer. You've got numerous stories and essays. You've got a YouTube channel. So tell us, Doc, how do you juggle your medical career and your passion for content creation? Well, that's my that's my drive. Um, I would say that I'm I'm always doing five things at once. I know if you really look at the science, you can't multitask, right? You can only do one thing at a time. But but to me, that gives me pleasure. That gives me excitement. That makes it fun. It gives me value. Like we are selfish creatures. We have to do things that give us value too. And I feel like um, to me, it was like spreading my wings when I kind of pivoted and started my own business. Like I love working for myself. I love being mm. my boss. You know, I love this sense of control, not that I'm controlling, but I, I, you know, I can decide what I do and how I do it. And if I don't like it, I can change it out. I can listen to people. I can be of service in a better way. I don't have to, I don't complain anymore about the system, quote unquote, because, you know, I'm, I'm parallel. I'm not kind of buried in the system. And so I found what happened is all of this creative stuff kind of bubbled up and I was able to really, you know, latch on to things that I've been wanting to do for a while. And this, uh, I guess you could say entrepreneurship spirit just, uh, just kind of flourished. So to me, it's exciting and, and everything's dovetailed together. You know, everything's my story. Everything in my life's a story and it's, it's kind of interconnected. So, you know, the advocacy business, uh, consulting business. And then, of course, I actually have a, a website that started in the pandemic. That was my passion project. That was Menopause Menu. That's a free site for everyone. It's really great just, again, to have something that people don't have to pay for. And then, of course, you know, in the back of my mind, the, the, the idea for this book grew for many, many years. And finally, I thought, you know, I've got to get this down. And, um, you know, not to laugh at myself, but I, I feel like, um, you know, when there's something in the public light uh, and it's really hot and it's a, it's a topic people are discussing a year or two later it becomes really posse it's like oh, I don't want to talk about that anymore well you know I kind of think we're on this menopause wave right now I mean mm-hmm. everywhere you look in the media and famous people you know menopause is front and center whether it's the workplace and so on uh, I hope in a couple of years it's like oh I don't want to talk about menopause anymore <laughs> so I kind of thought you know I gotta get my book out now <laughs> based on your new book's title the menopause menu from hot flashes to delicious dishes, a symptom-driven nourishing guide to mastering menopause. So to me, what pops out, it seems like you're emphasizing the role of diet in managing menopause. I'm going to give you a chance to answer all of that, but what the hell is menopause exactly? Well, in plain concrete terms, it's the ending of the menstrual periods. Boom. That's the answer. Menses, menses is menstrual periods and pause. You think of, you know, 
pause maybe doesn't even sound like the right word pause yeah, it doesn't feel like it's the gonna word. like continue again right yeah exactly yeah. Meno, should be meno stop. end meno end right yeah meno end. yeah meno stop. Meno stop. truly you know for for most for all practical purposes it's the ending of periods um there's there's many many variations on that theme like if you're 32 and you have your you know hysterectomy okay you're in menopause if you if you leave the ovaries and you're not so it's a hormonal change mm. and you know it, the fact that the hormonal change is happening estrogen levels are declining and then ultimately the periods stop kind of it's like the whole kit and caboodle so hormones was the right right opening it is <laughs> it's all about estrogen I want to get back to your book so could you share with us why diet is so fundamental to your approach to menopause? Well, I will pivot. And instead of the word diet, which is a four letter word, I would say uh, the word nutrition. Nutrition. And, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And in fact, I, you know, I say that for a reason, not just to be glib, but um, I, the book is, is, is an experiential book. So it's not a nutritional book, but um, as you kind of navigate your way through this book, you can, you don't have to read it from beginning to end. You can plop right into chapter eight. Uh, there's 16 chapters and chapter eight is on weight gain, of course. Uh, and so you can, you can decide to read that chapter first, or you can read one section of that chapter. So it's not in like, you know, chronological or, or front to back order. And so the idea is you have this resource, this guide or guidebook that women or men uh, can grab and learn from. Uh, and let's say they are having trouble with um, uh, vaginal dryness. They can go to the chapter on vaginal dryness, or they can go to libido, or they can go to chronic illness, or they can go to fatigue, or they can go to night sweats. I mean, it goes on and on. And so they can just read information that pertains to that subject. Maybe they have, uh, in this day and age, I guess people's attention span are I don't you know who reads a book, right? So you know, maybe they have four minutes, they have four minutes and they just want to read a blurb. Well, they can just open to that section, read something for four minutes and come away educated, reassured, maybe uh, kind of relieved. And, um, you know, often with a little chuckle or two, because uh, some of the content's written with some humor in mind. And then each recipe, sorry, each chapter is paired with a recipe. So, you know, you basically get a cookbook of 16 recipes as well. You know, one of the things that reminds me, not too long ago, I had this uh, um, man, he came in actually with his wife. He was complaining that suddenly his wife was making him eat all this diet high in sweet potatoes. And, uh, and I was like, why the hell are you eating sweet potatoes all the time? And, and she had sort of read, she hadn't informed him about uh, kind of phytoestrogens uh, and wild yam that wasn't sweet potato, but you know, sort of wild yam. And it's not unusual, you know, as women sort of go through menopause that they're not interested in kind of traditional hormone replacement therapy and other things like that. And so they turn to phytoestrogens, black cohosh, wild yam, and things like that. Do you, do you have, can you explore that a little bit with me? Cause I'm not all that great in being able to talk to my patients from a sort of a naturopathic standpoint or sort of food standpoint, when it comes to menopause, that's kind of where my knowledge base leaves me right there. So if you could kind of go off a little bit on, you know, kind of the effects and is it worthwhile for my patients to talk about kind of food-based estrogens, like those two that I mentioned? Yeah, I would say that the bigger principle at hand here is really important and that the journey for each woman going through menopause should be individualized. So like if you line up 10 people and they all have high blood pressure, you're going to tailor your choice of antihypertensives, you know, blood pressure medicine 
based on a number of factors that are individualized for each patient. So not every, not all those 10 people in front of you get the exact same blood pressure medicine. Uh, and so likewise, when you have a woman who is experiencing perhaps some symptoms or early menopause or perimenopause, um, you know, the, the subject of hormones, of course, comes up because that's, you know, always in the forefront. But what I find is that it should not be a, an argument or a push-pull, yes, no, you know, right, wrong, hot, cold, on, off discussion. There's so many nuances. And so you can have evidence-based, you know, Western medicine, science-based, uh, factual discussion alongside holistic, you know, complementary uh, support, and they can be joined together when you advise women. So let's say the topic is about estrogen or about, you know, plant-based or about uh, food-based um, you know, uh, hormone type phytoestrogens, um, you know, it doesn't mean that that woman may not be interested in hormones, quote unquote, but um, sometimes that is the best place to start. You know, it's, it's simple. Uh, it, the access is there. It's not a prescription, um, meaning that it costs money in that sense, uh, not that everything else is free, but sometimes um, maybe they want to eat more miso or soy-based or tofu mm -hmm. It, it's, you know, that kind of dietary uh, um, choice could make a difference. The first recipe in my book for the, for the, the uh, chapter on hot flash is, uh, is, is a recipe for miso soup. It has tofu into, into it too. Uh, but, you know, and then there's supplements, of course, you can go down that slippery slope and you can kind of argue about whether they're FDA approved. And of course they're not, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying, you know, evening primrose oil, um, high dose is better than, than regular. I don't think black cohosh does very much, you know, and so you can go into that, those kind of discussions very simply. It does not take away from uh, a scientific or evidence-based discussion. I think it adds to it. And truly it's meeting the patient. It's meeting the woman where she's at. Maybe she has no interest in supplements. Give me the hormones or like, I'm out of here, you know, but maybe it's the opposite. And so it's, it's, it's dancing with them. It's allowing them to feel heard and feel, feel like you're really listening and dialoguing. And I think that's really key. Thanks. What about sort of the uh, opposite side of the spectrum? It's not unusual for me to inherit a patient uh, and an older woman, maybe in their, well, not older, older, but uh, in f as terms as menopause go, like a woman in their 60s or 70s that's been on hormone replacement therapy, you know, in the past. And and you can, we could talk for a long time about the risks associated with that as far as cardiovascular and cancer type of health and why are, or they may not uh, continue on that. And so often we'll have the discussion of getting off uh, that and they resist highly, you know, to do that because of, of the withdrawal symptoms that they have. Um, and their husbands are usually like, please do not ever stop these at all. Um, it's a disaster. And, uh, you know, Eric, you can figure out maybe why that might be a disaster, but, uh, no, no, not no? going to try, not going to try. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, goes back to happy life, happy wife once yes, again, yeah. <laughs> um, or vice versa. But, uh, can you talk a little bit about sort of that scenario, what someone might be able to do, you know, as far as a, a nutritional or other standpoint for, for primary care, you know, provider or for the patients themselves to try and get off of these hormones and, and switch to some other non-hormonal based uh, treatment? 
Well, first of all, there's a lot to unpack on that. And of course um, there is. I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to be brief. But <laughs> the first thing that I kind of, my like, my, my little spidey sense went up when you said a withdrawal. So when you think about withdrawal, like someone's on a drug or like, let's say nicotine, right? And they're going off, you know, they have withdrawal symptoms. Well, withdrawal means it's a brief period of time and it's over. Eh, not true with right. menopause when you take hormones away and those symptoms perhaps that that are there and the easiest ones to talk about are things like hot flashes night sweats they don't just go away after a week i mean you could be right back to square one and suffering and not doing well so it is that bigger picture we have to step back and say okay well why is this you know let's just say she's 75 but why is this 75 year old woman on hormones did she go on them way back when the Women's Health Initiative back in the early 2000s? And maybe, maybe um, you know, there, there was data. And then, of course, the data came out. And it seems like I remember I was I remember practicing then. It seems like all of my my female patients went off their hormones. And a month later, they all went screaming back to me. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> you know, but remember, that was in the era of Carmen and Provera and basically the, the, the hormones that I never prescribe anymore. So mm-hmm. fast forward to nowadays. So I guess the first question is, why is this person on hormones? Sometimes. I, I tell you, they don't even know. We you, we all have patients, right? Who they're on, oh, it's that mm-hmm. little pill. They don't even know what it's for. They just take it because they were told to. And, and, and right, so, yeah. you know, this the hormones um, may not be necessary. So that's the first question. Like, hey, I'm always less is better. Like if we can get you off of this and you're fine, then why are you on it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if their symptoms are just roaring back and it's just, you know, really intrusive, then you have to say, well, like anything, it's a quality of life discussion. So just because uh, there are potentially risks, and it could be cardiovascular, it could be cancer, um, it could be those are less, perhaps, than the downside of being off of hormones, struggling with hot flashes, can't sleep, because once you can't sleep, that whole, you know, snowball starts, you can't think, Clearly, you're stressed, you're fatigued, your relation. I mean, it's like you go to hell on hell in a handbasket. So, so are you one to just kind of be on your pedestal and say, nope, no hormones? Or do you want to say, well, wow, why are you on them? And yeah, maybe there's an opportunity to do something different. Maybe it's a different brand. Maybe it's a lesser dose. Maybe instead of oral, it's a patch. Maybe their only problem is vaginal. So let's give vaginal hormones, not the whole body hormones. So there's a lot of lot of things you can talk about, but I would never just say like, wow, you're 75, why are you on hormones? I mean, yeah, that's a good way to get punched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, wait, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Eric, you can't. I can't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you both digging into this because one of the things that came up for me when I was doing my research, well, one, I have many women in my life who have come to that menopausal age, and I think it's since passed, but they don't talk about it. They've never told me. I just thought they were Looney Tunes or upset or having a bad day. And I don't mean Looney Tunes like they're crazy. just like, you know, having a a bad day. No, they're crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Don't tell anybody, Robert. Yeah. I I know the women in your life. Yeah. (laughs) Not those. (laughs) But I'm like, you know, my aunts and my my grandmother who's you know she's since passed but like I was around during what is traditionally the menopausal age I, I understand the average is changing you know 47 to 52 45 to 55 somewhere there yeah <laughs> yeah okay there's two things we'll, we'll talk about like why we're not talking about it but I still want to hold on to the diet thing because you, you you two have piqued my interest so how does a menopause friendly, again, these are my words, so keep me honest here. How does a menopause friendly diet either change or differ from what we would generally accept as 
good healthy eating. Oh, there's so much overlap. It's almost, I would never say there's like a menopausal diet per se, but, okay. but I know the question you're getting at. So I know, I know what you're trying to ask. And of course, in my book, I have, you know, these, these kind of pairing of, uh, uh, of, of nutritional offerings for, mm. for symptoms. I think that, that we can like anything, uh, we can capitalize on our nutrition, our diet, our, our choices of things that we eat in terms of managing um, uh, a condition or, or a set of symptoms. Um, so many people know all about, you know, avoiding sodium or lowering sodium when it comes to blood pressure or to heart failure. Uh, you know, so that's, that's, a, that's a given right there. Well, you know, with menopause, there are ways to um, perhaps reduce uh, night sweats or hot flashes. Uh, and that would be, I hate to say, um, break the news, but that would mean less caffeine or less alcohol. Um, and, oh, or it okay. could mean um, getting certain foods that are actually uh, helpful that have those kind of uh, miso or tofu or phytoestrogens in them. Um, and so that's kind of a like really cause and effect. But if you, if you back up and say, well, okay, what else is happening in menopause? Uh, maybe there's a lot of inflammation going on. Mm. These have a chapter of musculoskeletal concerns and arthritis and so forth. Well, you know, there's anti-inflammatory diets. So you can get into things like the Mediterranean diet. And, and you know, I would say Mediterranean approach to nutrition. But, you know, that kind of uh, avenue can be very helpful. And then, of course, when we think about menopause, it's midlife uh, in a woman's life. Well, what are the things we think about in midlife? Well, we're trying to reduce risk for cancer as we age. We're trying to reduce our risk for cardiovascular disease as we age. Well, then you think about nutritional things that also support that. So that's why I cast a wider net. It's not just like one-on-one menopause related. It's kind of everything else that's going in that menopausal phase, if that makes any sense. It does. And what I'm hearing you say is you're not, you're not trying to say, oh, if you take this, this will then happen in menopause. Right. But what you're what you're demonstrating in general, this form of nutrition, one, it sounds like we should probably be doing it anyway, but that they have led to the lesser of the the symptoms that occur, um, a lessening rather. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. You know, I guess more examples might be helpful or instructive. So, for instance, one of the chapters is on changing and ending of periods, you know, of course, duh, that's menopause. But, you know, there's a lot that happens when you think about these hormone changes and irregular cycles and heavy flow, God forbid. I know women who might be listening, almost everyone has had an event often at work, uh, embarrassingly wearing the wrong color pants where you think like, whoa, that's a soaker. So, you know, it's wow. just it's not pleasant. It's not a soaker. A soaker. Yeah. That's a new one. <laughs> I like it. Got it. But, but, but to my point, is that okay? If you if you kind of tease this out, bear with me. Uh, if you're having heavy flow, lots of clots. I know it's very graphic. Uh, lots of iron, lots of blood. Well, you can become iron deficient to the point where you have severe iron deficiency to the point where you are exhausted, and then there's other consequences of iron deficiency. So guess what? Well, hey, there are nutritional ways of getting more iron. So you know that's kind of again how I'm kind of pairing things up and being supportive. Susan, I'd love to pivot a little bit from um, the nutritional aspect of it to the mental health kind of aspect of it. And one of the things I think that primary care is doing a little bit better recently is integrating behavioral health into into primary care. Uh, And luckily, at my uh, clinic now, we have a full-time psychologist that engages within primary care. And probably one of the more 
common things that we use is actually behavioral health for hormonal change, whether it's, you know, PMS or menarche or pregnancy or now menopause, uh, the amount of behavioral health overlay that comes with that and being able to treat stress uh, symptoms with cognitive behavioral therapy or something else, mindfulness and things uh, to get through the difficult times is, is really important. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about how we can educate, particularly the husbands, I think, as they are trying to pair with uh, their partners who are really struggling, you know, what's underlyingly a hormonal issue, but has uh, so many behavioral components because of it. I think you may have read an, a copy of my book lying around somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is This is so spot on. I am so glad you asked me about that because I feel that we can kind of get into the weeds talking about hormones and prescriptions and supplements and, and things that are, you know, that we take. But I do feel that probably one of the overarching themes, themes of my book, and of course, of my belief structure when it comes to helping women in menopause is looking at the behavioral side and looking at ways we can um, kind of mastermind uh, a more mind body approach or wellness or kind of health, health, healthful approach. Um, I, you know, it's interesting, uh, one chapter's uh, on sleep disruption, and I do talk about cog cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI, which has an excellent um, yield when you're working with a sleep specialist. Um, it's not something you just kind of research and do on your own uh, willy-nilly. But um, there's so many opportunities, almost the entire menopausal kind of milieu of symptoms and, and the time frame. there's so many opportunities for stepping in to help with mental health, supporting women who, or families who are stressed. Um, because when you think about it, I mean, this is going to sound like a statement of the obvious, but it's really profound. What's happening during the time frame when a woman typically is going through menopause? I'm not talking surgical menopause or earlier late, but the average time frame. Well, it's usually midlife, late 40s, early 50s. Many women, if they're married, perhaps they still have children at home, or maybe they're pivoting to be empty nesters. Maybe a marriage has broken up and they're getting divorced, or maybe they're on a second marriage. Maybe they're not married. Uh, many working women are still in jobs. They haven't necessarily retired yet. There could be aging parents or parents who have recently passed. Um, there could be illnesses, personal or family or close friends. I mean, there's so many life events that are happening. And then bam, you have menopause, like, you know, whacking you on the face. And I think that that's the, the stress kind of boils up and, you know, hopefully I'll get some smiles from you. I mean, the poor guys <laughs> or husbands who have to deal with like, ah, the, the, this kind of psycho, you know, um, I do believe. Glad you I, said that. Not and me. I can thank you. And I can say this. With <laughs> in case my wife has been going on there in the background. Yeah. I, I really think, you know, with a straight face that, that many women, and I've heard this over and over again, will say like, oh my God, I said that. Or five minutes later, like, whoa, that was a lot of line. Uh, or like, why am I so irritable? This is not me. I just can't stand it. And so um, it, it, it's getting back to a question you had, Eric, like we're talking about these things, right? I think historically, uh, my mother, my mother died many years ago, but like, wow, what power in the, in the, what deity arranged for, for a, a mother to go through menopause kind of around the time when maybe her kids going through puberty, like that's just not a good combo. Again, <laughs> the dads are really screwed in this whole question. <laughs> so, so it gets back to 
first of all, you know, taking a deep breath, right? Mindful is like, mm, breathe in, breathe out, you know, trying to, trying to learn self-calming and, and to be open and available to, to input that maybe you didn't need a couple of years ago because you were a master of your game, but now it's like things are kind of a little chaotic. And then also, I like to think the end of the tunnel has a bright light and it's not the oncoming train. It's actually a beautiful next step, you know, and, and so you can realize this is temporary. This is not forever. And that you do have to learn some coping strategies and some techniques that can help you. And yes, you just can't do this alone, uh, even though historically women did, because God forbid, you never even said the word menopause. So I think there's there's so much uh, in your question, Robert, to really kind of say, yeah, we should be looking at all the things that are supportive of our mental health and kind of behavioral systems that are in place or maybe could be in place, either in systems, uh, in clinics like yours, or uh, women who can avail themselves of these services on their own and learn about them. And I think, you know, not to self-plug, but I hope that that's where my book will be helpful because I think it's nice to, to be hopeful and also for the men in their lives to be hopeful that there's going to be a change. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's helpful to just zoom out a little bit because of what the two of you are talking about is help me understand what is the typical timeline for menopause and, and what are some things that as men we should expect and and how can we be there for our wives i know there's three things there so what's the typical stages what's to expect and what should men know about those yeah. phases or and stages it's, it's i'll speak in generalities of course yeah, but these are going to be so nuanced and, and and different with every woman um so it's almost impossible to go through all the examples but there's totally pre-menopause pre is like you're young right peri peri is the word around like perimeter perimenopause is kind of around the time of menopause so it could be 42 43 44 45 46 you know you, so you're still having periods you know but you know something's different maybe they're changing and maybe you're you know flashing a little bit or maybe your sleep is not quite right or maybe you have that god forbid that brain fog you know you can't really concentrate and mm -hmm. and so but but nothing's really really shifted yet and and this is often when and probably robert would not is that this is when often patients would come to me it's like oh, Lord, Chris, you know what's happening and like do some tests and unfortunately, uh, and I'll really say this is medical science now, you know, we don't just do a bunch of tests, you know, yes, we of course have to look for other things that might be going on. Yeah, let's make sure, sure your thyroid, the famous thyroid, make sure that's okay. You know, make sure that it's always okay. Oh God, yes. <laughs> that's a whole nother episode. Gonna nod his head. How um, many thyroid tests have I ordered? Oh, <laughs> but see, here's the, here's, there's a disconnect because uh, a lot of people think like, oh, just check my hormones. Like, mm -hmm. no, if you're having periods, they're going to be fine. You know, there are, again, many different exceptions. So I'm not being so glib, but then, you know, it's, there's a lot of reassurance. There's a lot of understanding. There's a lot of education. Then this menopause, which is like, Oh, this is the hardest time, I think, for both supportive uh, spouses and for the for the woman going through. Uh, let's say you've gone four months without a period. Okay. Yeah. Many women are doing pregnancy tests because they're thinking, oh, shit. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, and, and, okay, they're not pregnant. And um, they're thinking like, wow, this is it. I'm done. Like, nope, you're not done. You got to wait actually 12 months for, without, without any periods to kind of say, boom, you're in menopause. So that 12, you don't know where that 12 months is. So it could be on month five, 
oh, you have a period, like, great, now the whole clock starts again, you know, so you have to count down. So it's just this very kind of, it could be 12 months for some women, or five, six years for others, and there's no way of knowing ahead of time. And then you fast forward to menopause, 12 months without a period, and then literally you're post-menopause until you die. I know that there's a lot of women who say like, oh, I'm 65, I don't do that anymore. It's like, no, you're, you're still post-menopause. If you're 99, you're still post-menopause. Post just means after. So basically it means that you will not have periods again. And I actually want to give a very important PSA public service announcement here, because there's some women who've gone through menopause, some five years of a period, and then they have a quote unquote period. That is not normal. In the medical parlance, we call that DUB, stands for dysfunctional uterine bleeding. Mm. And it is never, and I underscore never, normal to have a period when you are already in postmenopause. That means you need to come in, get checked out. Yeah, I know pelvics are not fun. Make sure you, you know, get evaluated because you don't just suddenly have a period out of the blue. Um, so that's really important to say. Thanks for thanks for pointing that out because yeah. it is it is pretty critical. And I'm amazed, really, as as you phrase it, how many women just assume that, oh, you know, it must just be every once in a while, it's normal to occasionally have some bleeding. Um, but you're absolutely right. Once once a woman's been through menopause, if there's any bleeding at all, we, we want to know about it because there's some important things we don't want to miss there. This has been fun. A couple of things. I recently heard a description of the menopause experience. You know, be it the, the peri, the menopause, and then the post in of itself. These are my words, and so I'm paraphrasing. I don't quite remember the doctor's full name. But it's almost as if you see, you're in the ocean, and you see the storm coming. Then you're in the storm, and the boat's tossing around. And that could be, you know, the hot flashes, the, the, the vaginal dryness, the, the brain fog, that metaphorical use of that storm. But then there's this period where you you get out of the storm and there's no more fog and you're a wiser woman. In fact, perhaps your libido comes back and you're ready to rock and roll. Is that a fair description in the metaphorical sense? I think it's very close. Um, I do feel that uh, for for some women, it's just a little um, summer blippy rainstorm. For others, it's to- it's sort of tornado, <laughs> and so it's not. I think, and here's really this is important. I think for your listeners to understand, this is not like you're heading into a disaster for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's not catastrophic. It can be that way for some, but you know, you think about the the bell curve, right? There's some who like have one bad period. Boop, I'm done. Hey, their girlfriends are going to smack them. And others are like, you know, eight years of hell, I'm going to kill myself now, you know? And so I'm being facetious, but you know, it's this, it's this vast array of experiences. that's different for every woman. Uh, there's so many commonalities and, and, and things that overlap and very, very similar experiences. But, and, and that maybe gets back to Robert's point too earlier about like, well, how do we approach life? How do we approach things that are crazy, that are difficult, that are like, are we, do we approach it from like, oh, God, I hate this? Or do we say like, hmm, I guess I'll be curious about this today. It's not my favorite thing, but let's just kind of see what happens. You know, so I think the word, and Eric, you nailed it, the word wisdom definitely comes to mind. I think that that women, in gen, I'm speaking generally, that once you're kind of in this and through this phase, I do believe we have a an elevated experiential personal wisdom that we can draw from 
and I hope feel a bit more lighthearted as far as other things that happen to us in our lives and, and make it easier for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for clarifying that, but it could either be a, a light sprinkling rainstorm or it could be that wild tornado. The other thing I was thinking about when you said that though, uh, Eric was, there is no eye of the storm. Mm. Yeah. Once, once that, uh, assuming that it is a difficult uh, perimenopause and menopausal period, there's no like temporary calm and then a disaster usually again, it, it's a, it's just kind of a time to get, to get through. Uh, but I, I agree, Susan, it, it can, it's, it's amazing, you know, as it is with so many things in medicine, uh, the disparity that uh, of the experiences that someone has going through it, the implications on how we can help our patients postmenopausal are really multifactorial. There's so many things we want to do and uh, it could be maybe not the best thing for the patient. So as we wrap up, um, I have one big question for you. Is there something I should have asked you, but I didn't? Um, I, you know, this, we could talk for hours. Of course, it's my favorite subject. I will just say that my book is launching on October 18th. And I do have a website that's free. It's menopausemenu.com. And on that page, you'll see a little book link. And if you click that, you get to go to my author and book page. And there's lots of fun things there. So um, just sharing the love. <laughs> Yeah, anything anywhere else that we can find you? We've got your MyMD Advocate, the menopause menu. Where yeah, else? Uh, I have, of course, my YouTube site. Never, uh, never my wildest dreams did I think I'd be a YouTuber, but um, I do have some videos on there. I have a lot of other places too, but with those three sites, you can kind of usually find, find me. I'm doing a lot of podcasts and live streams and lectures coming up. I'm also going to be, for those in the Seattle area, I'm going to be at the last of this year's uh, farmer's markets uh, in Magnolia, and it's going to be Saturday, October 14th, right in front of Magnolia Bookstore, and I'll have a little table. So if you want a book, you can come up and I'll sign it. <laughs> Excellent. Robert, Great. how about you? Anything else? I think I'm, I think I'm really good. I appreciate uh, all your advice and wisdom that you shared with us. Thanks. This has been the Bedside Manor with Eric and Robert. We'll see you in traffic. <laughs>